What's up, guys, and welcome to the We Believe Golden State Warriors Basketball Podcast, the Sports Ethos presentation. Today is Friday, May 6th. I'm your host, Sam Orlick. Today, we've got a very special episode for you. We've got Dubby from Dub Nation HQ back with us again, breaking down this second round Western Conference semifinals matchup between the Memphis Grizzlies and Golden State Warriors. Before we get into that, though, just a quick little series recap to get you up to date. Warriors stole game one in Memphis, 117-116. Clay Thompson blocking John Morant's game-winning layup attempt at the buzzer. We had a heartbreaking game two loss, 101-106. to That came with um, a very significant injury sustained. Gary Payton the second, three minutes into the game via Dylan Brooks. Um, Peyton got caught up in the air. Uh, Dylan Brooks made contact with his head. Peyton took a very hard fall, landed on his elbow. Um, pretty serious injury. Uh, was in a considerable amount of pain. Stayed in the game, shooting two free throws just to give the Warriors the option to bring him back in if needed, but he would not return. Um, following the game, we got an MRI update. Uh, compliments of Shams from The Athletic. The report is Peyton has Peyton's MRI shows slight ligament damage along with a fractured left elbow. He's expected to miss at least three weeks and has not ruled out a return to the NBA Finals. Um, obviously, this is a huge blow. Gary Peyton is and has been a Warriors fan favorite throughout the season. Peyton's story as an individual is quite unique and special for a guy that um, spent about five years trying to make a 15-man roster for any NBA team that would have him. Um, Warriors got a great look at him last year off of a two-way, and he battled with Avery Bradley during, during training camp for the Warriors and ended up winning out for the 15th spot on the team, quickly showed what he is capable of as far as being an incredibly talented and pesky point-of-attack defender with some incredible athleticism, um, the ability to throw down some thunderous dunks, finish under the rim like a seven-footer, and occasionally step out and hit an open three-pointer. Peyton developed and established himself as a very key piece of the second unit for the Warriors for Steve Kerr's rotation throughout the regular season and found himself in a starting role in this Memphis series tasked as the primary defender against John Morant. Obviously, huge blow, losing Gary Payton. Um, another, another injury sustained in that game two loss, Draymond Green took an elbow from Xavier Tillman. Green would end up getting stitches and have significant swelling in his eye. Green is expected to play tomorrow in game three at Chase Center, but um, has been looking, has been seeing specialists to try and get the swelling down. Um, so, you know, this is what we, exactly what we've been talking about on the previous pods coming into the series. This Memphis series was going to be grit and grind. There's going to be some blood and guts. 
um, spilled trying to knock off this Grizzlies team. But Warriors find themselves in a great position returning to their home floor, stealing a game on the road against Memphis. Um, Warriors have not been playing their best ball, uh, but nor has Memphis. So, you know, I think that there's a lot that still both teams have the opportunity to prove here. So one more note to mention on the injury front as we look ahead to the game tomorrow on Saturday, May 7th at Chase Center. Steven Adams has cleared the health and safety protocols and will be available for the game. Um, Andre Iguodala, who was being reevaluated from the neck spasms that has held him out thus far from playing in this series, will continue to remain out. So, without any further ado, let's bring in Dubby and get into it. Hey, Dubby, you there? Yeah, Sam, can you hear me? Yes, I can. How you doing, man? I'm good. How are you doing? Pretty good. How you been? Doing pretty well. Um, been busy. We got a, oh, we got yeah. a new Labrador puppy a few weeks ago. So he's, uh, he's about 10 weeks old now. His name's Milo. And we've got... Um, like a 19 a 19 month old labrador as well uh same breeder same family different parents um mm-hmm. but it's been a blast but it's also been a little bit crazy so um we're enjoying ourselves though for sure nice we got a dog too during lockdown so i understand hey nice yeah awesome. <laughs> yeah so we so we got um the first one when we were living in Oakland and we were in an, in a apartment, dog friendly apartment, but um, she's a lab. So she needs a lot of space and she needs a lot of exercise. And obviously with the little puppy there and they're not vaccinated, you can't really do much out in public space. And in mm-hmm. Oakland, it's like everywhere that you try to go is like everyone else is trying to go there too. So it was definitely a struggle. Um, now in Long Beach, we found a house with a yard. It's just, it's night and day difference. Um, it's been really great. That's rad. That's, Wait, where, where are you at now? Arinda? I'm in Long Beach now. Oh, you're in Long Beach. Yeah. Nice. So let's talk some dubs, man. Um, so it's been, it's been hard. I'll, I'll be honest. It's been hard to, uh, to be on Twitter these days. Um, especially coming off that uh, game two loss, just a lot, a lot of stuff going on here. Obviously, huge blow for Gary Payton the second. Um, I feel like all of Brutal. the nation just you know forget the loss, the game two loss, but um, just the injury and and for him and having a breakout. And really yeah. just kind of every the stars aligning for him and having this this um starting role for the Warriors and really flourishing. So um hopefully we get some good news in the next few weeks. He's gonna be reevaluated in two weeks. I'd be surprised if we see him again for a while, maybe the finals, but you never know. Devin Booker I... came back a lot faster than people expected. So I'd be shocked, man. I mean, the the two to four week reevaluation. I think doesn't that put us already in the finals? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I definitely like think game. he'll miss he'll miss um, the all of Western Conference finals, um, but maybe for the finals. 
it'd be great just to get him back as like an emotional lift too, man. He yeah. was yeah, such a big, big part point. of what this team was doing this year. And he seems like such a great guy. You know, he's up for that community award. It's just so clear that everybody on the team, you know, they all pull for each other, but I think everybody pulls a little extra hard for Gary Payton. Yeah. And it just really like the strength of numbers, the, the kind of grinder, you know, how many seasons did he kind of grind it out trying to find a home? He's the 15th man, mm. the warriors um, drop him and pick him up again, just to like navigate some cap space stuff. And they you know, ended up securing him, even though, uh curry and draymond wanted avery bradley so just a lot of interesting narratives but everything seemed to work out um and so yeah it's just so frustrating thankfully you know it's the arm it's not like a clay thompson injury it's not going to take years you know we're talking about months it's still brutal it doesn't take away from um the kind of the emotional blow but you know hopefully he can make a full recovery and, and full return and get back to being the explosive and incredible player that um, we all kind of at Dub Nation enjoyed watching this season. Definitely. You know, and, and it just sucks because it's his elbow and his shooting arm. So, right. you know, the knock on him was that he couldn't shoot. And I think Kerr's offense really allows him to thrive on those cuts where he's, you know, he's catching alley blobs, but he's also making a lot of really heady, you know, Steve Kerr moving based offense off-ball cuts where they just get in the pass. He's, uh, I you know, aside from like Damian Lee, who's played like 12 minutes, Gary Payton has actually the most points scored per uh, 100 attempts. He's, he's averaging 165 points per 100 attempt. So that's like 1.65 per possession. It's, it's pretty dang good. It's, it's <laughs> crazy. Good. It's, it's a stupid number. You know, he doesn't take a ton of shots, but that's over 104 minutes in the playoffs. He played the fifth most minutes and started in game one of the series. Like it's, it's, it's definitely not a small deal, Uh, you know, from the humanity standpoint, obviously, but like also from a team standpoint that forget the groovy dynamics and the strength of numbers stuff. Like he was starting the series. It was a hugely important guy for us, you know, and then John goes nuts in game two. Went nuts in game one, also, but more so in game two. So I don't know what they're going to do, man. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Um, you know, game game three tomorrow at, at Chase. I have a lot of faith in in Steve Kerr and the Brain Trust at, at getting creative and coming up with some different solutions. I don't think it's going to be like we're. I don't think it's going to be one thing. I think it's going to be a variety of things and see what they can do. Probably some double teams. Probably some Draymond. Probably a lot of Andrew Wiggins. But yeah, yeah. I'm with you. Um, it's definitely a problem. I think the good news silver lining to all of this is more opportunity for Jonathan Kaminka. Right. I mean, you said he's playing the fifth most minutes um, on the team. So. Um, it's going oh, to be, it's gonna be opportunity for others. Oh, okay. It was just in game one. Um, yeah, there's, you know, there's minutes to fill there. I think Kaminga will have a part of it. You know, I, I know he's not a super popular choice, but I thought Damian Lee was pretty good in his limited role. I bet we'll get more of him. Um, I wouldn't mind Moses Moody even throw him out there and see if he can stay in front of job because I think Wiggins does a pretty good job. But the problem is that if you have, 
Steph and Poole and Clay out there. The ability of Morant to switch his defender out on that, you know, the pick and roll, the classic playoff pick and roll where you're hunting a defender. Uh, it's really easy, like too easy for him to slough off our preferred defender, which is probably Wiggins, and pick if he wants to go at Poole or Thompson. You know, Poole would seem to be quick enough, but he just, you know, he, he just doesn't have the defensive chops yet. And Clay is back, but, you know, his lateral quickness is noticeably different. And he was already on the edge. You know, I think he gets by a lot more with his defensive instincts. So just the physicality of, of the challenge that Morant presents is a defensive issue. But, you know, this is something that the Warriors have figured out before with a guy like Harden, um, a guy like LeBron James, where it's just really hard to stay in front of them. And that's true for their entire career. And then once they get around the first person, they're dominant in enough other ways to get by the help. But, you know, I think the Warriors are going to have to try and figure out some new, some new wrinkles to throw at him. You know, the, I don't know that you should trap him reliably because he's, gonna, he's so good at getting through that, especially if he knows it's coming on the regular. So we'll see. Yeah, maybe it, it's know, a little bit days. of a Nikola Jokic um, treatment where you stop everyone else and make him score. Well, at least well. for Jokic, we had Draymond. Draymond Green was a, you know, Jokic was still putting up a pretty dominant performance, but he he couldn't win them the game one on one. And that's and, because other than other than game uh, five, no, game four. Um, nobody else showed up to score with him, but you've got Jaron Jackson Jr. going in along with Morant. <laughs> right. And so Which that's is the crazy. issue, right? They got the option one and two. And so if you can take away all the other options and force Morant to score 40 or 50, but nobody else really eclipsed 15 or 10, and you don't get, and you don't let three, four guys get 10 to 15, you know, you put a lot more pressure on Morant, um, especially if you're, if you're giving up twos to Morant and we're scoring threes, but we'll get into that a little bit later because I think it's been an issue <laughs> for the Warriors converting uh, from the three-point line this series against Memphis. But yeah, I do totally mm-hmm. agree with you. They're going to have to get creative. I don't think it's going to be a one person or one strategy. I think it's going to be kind of a variation. Maybe Moses Moody gets in there. I, I personally like Damian Lee. Um, he's had his, He had his ups and downs in the regular season, but you know what you're going to get from him reliably. And I also like the fact that mm-hmm. Lee Lee isn't afraid to take the big shot, to take take it to the paint and draw contact. And on, and on the defensive end, he isn't afraid to get dirty and, uh, and, um, and get physical there as well. So I think I'm happy mm-hmm. with Damian Lee slotting in there. And you just hope that he can hit those wide open threes when he's going to be the guy getting the open shots. Cause that can very, very well be the, he's not exciting, but well, and you know, that's the thing with, with, I think someone like Moody or Kaminga, you know, that they can do stuff that is not as, uh, you know, that's, that's more detrimental. They help more probably in certain ways, but I think Lee not being flashy, doesn't bother Kerr one bit. You know, he'll gladly take the guy who knows what's going to happen when he puts him on the court in a playoff environment. 
you know, but you know, that's how we got Anderson Varejao on the court against the LeBron James lineup instead of Leandro Barbosa. Like, (laughs) uh, you know, you don't want to lean too far into it. And, you know, the other thing that's going to be super different about this game coming up uh, game three is that the Grizzlies are going to have Steven Adams back. Yes. That's brand new. Like we haven't seen him. He had COVID protocols. I think, I don't think he actually got the Rona, but he was stuck in the protocol. So he's coming back for sure. And yeah. I want to get your take on that. Cause he was kind of played out of the, the Minnesota series. Cause he got, mm-hmm. he went into the health and safety protocols after they won the series in between waiting to play the Warriors. Um, but obviously historically he has been a big thorn in the warrior side as far as regular season matchups, um, even in his days in, in OKC, just as a big bruiser who can move the ball, who's no, kind of makes, you know, makes very timely plays on both ends of the floor, but also kind of lumbering and slow and also kind of takes away from, I think, opportunity for uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. and Brandon Clark to do explosive things playing um as a smaller five. I think, uh, I think the gist of it is, is that we don't really know because the playoffs are just a different creature. You know, he got played off against another team and I assume he would get played off against the Warriors. But a lot of the reasons that the Warriors have been in these games is because their rebounds, specifically their offensive rebounding has been nuts. Yeah. And I think that's probably where they might, lean on Adams a little bit more than they normally would just to sort of shore up that one thing. Like, you know, you, you can't let Otto Porter, Otto Porter and Andrew Wiggins cook you on the, on the glass. If you've got Jaron Jackson and uh, Adams in the front court, yeah. you. if you have both those guys out there and, you know, Adams is a fantastic rebounder. So it, it's gonna, it's gonna be one of those things, but you know, the other thing about going, if they do bring on a traditional big, I think then it makes the small and the new death lineup a little more viable. Right now, it's not really creating enough of an advantage. And, you know, part of that is like the guards aren't hitting their shots. Nobody is really. But if you get Adams out there, you know, then having Wiggins and Green running around starts to open up some of those creases a lot more you know, in transition and in the half court. Right. It, it turns the Grizzlies into a little bit of a slower team. Um, Cause I, I've been impressed with um, Memphis's length, um, their ability to recover when guys like uh, Jordan Poole beat their man and are run off the three point line. What we saw in the Denver series where Poole is just basically, you know, getting to the rim at will and finishing um, he's getting sent away a lot at the rim. Um, he's getting his shots blocked and that's like Brandon Clark, DeAnthony Melton. It's not just like one guy. It's like, they've got two, three, four athletic guys who can get, who can recover when they've been beat and still contest at the rim. Yeah. And you know, this is, this was the concern with facing the Grizzlies, you know, and they obviously passed the Warriors to take the higher seed. The Warriors had problems like on a personnel matchup level. You know, a lot of it is obviously John Morant being able to get by people, but I, I think defensively it's an issue. You know, they're, the the point I was just looking at this for the preview. The the points per possession for the Warriors against the Grizzlies in in game two, 
it was only 101 points per 100 possessions. So that's like bad efficiency. And then in the previous game, it was 160. So, and they, they won that one. But so much of that comes down to just the shooting, right? I, I don't know that there's a clear line between how much the Grizzlies' defense is actively hampering the Warriors. You know, obviously their shooters do look more rushed, but it might just be random variants and, you know, Steph and Clay are getting cold at the same time. Like, it's going to happen as they get old. Like, they're going to hit little slow streaks more often. But yeah. the shooting variance, <laughs> if the shooting variance changes, like everything, you know, everything's up in the air at that point. Yeah, I mean, take any game two, Warriors shot 7 of 38 from 3, 18%. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. Memphis shot 14 of 45. So any regular season game, and you know, it's not really a fair comparison because postseason is a different animal, but you're just not going to win a lot of basketball games when the opposing team outscores you by 20-plus points from the three-point line. Um, game one, which the Warriors won, 117 116 at the buzzer basically on a Morant miss layup it was 14 of 38 yeah blocked by clay thompson uh 14 of 38 for the warriors and 16 of 40 for the grizzlies so and Morant shooting a lot of threes and mm-hmm. he's making he's making some he's missing some i don't have a problem with Morant shooting threes it's kind of like you'd rather have him shooting threes than um getting to the rim where he can just really be lethal but I do think that a lot of the misses are open misses too. Um, Cause Memphis makes mistakes, uh, especially they in do. game two down the stretch. Like they, they left Curry wide open with like three minutes left in the game. They just botched a, a pick and roll switch and two went with whoever the screener was and Curry just got a wide open look to uh, retake the lead. So I think to, to lose by five, in game two, uh, 101-106, with the emotional loss of, of Gary Payton, with Draymond Green getting stitches with the eye swollen, you know, outscored by 21 points from three, all the turnovers that they had um, in that game as well, and even down the stretch, and it was still, you know, up three with five minutes. Like, it, this was a very mm-hmm. winnable game for the Warriors in, in where Clay Thompson travels on, like, the last shot for them for the tie. Just so much poor execution um that i think for for warriors at least for me i'm i'm feeling pretty good about this series and i think that you know a couple days off you get back to chase and and we're in a great position to take both of these games at home and and put them away on the road if we can just get our shooting back on track yeah that's that's the big challenge is will they shoot better at home i i it does seem like the Warriors, when you're watching the game, it does seem like they should not be as far behind or that Memphis should be pulling further ahead, you know, as the game goes on. Just because it it, it seems like the, the Warriors are getting a lot of good looks and they're definitely finding cracks in the Grizzlies' defense. You know, Morant in particular is just a horrible off-ball defender. And I think maybe he was the one that fell asleep even got Steph that big open look in the fourth. Maybe not, but there was definitely a play or two where it was like, if you look at, at Morant, he just sort of goes somewhere else for a minute and the, the play keeps developing. So, but, you know, that's not really fun from an analysis standpoint because, like, yeah, 
if they shoot better, they win. But, you know, I, I don't know how they do that. You know, they have staff and clay and pool. Is that, a, you know, that should be enough. You would think to win this series, but both of those first two games came down to like <laughs> toss up endings. Really? You know, like you're saying clay steps out of bounds or get, I guess called to travel one or the other. And then um, Morant gets the friendly whistle. He flops on that rebound that Draymond Green, you know, the Warriors had a lead. They got a stop. Green was about to lead a fast break with Morant on the ground. And the refs called a, you know, a rebounding foul on that play and stopped it back to the Grizzlies. So it could easily be 0-2 either way. (laughs) You know, like the Warriors – could be down 0-2 or they could definitely be up 0-2. I don't I don't feel like either team has really put uh dominant performance on. You know, both of these games have been there for either team to take in the last, you know, 30 seconds, which is crazy. It's great basketball, but it's stressful. Yeah, it's it's been highly competitive both ways. Um and I agree, you know, it could Warriors could be 2-0, Memphis could be 2-0. It could really could have gone either way. I guess I just feel like I'm not seeing anything from Memphis defensively where I'm like, man, these are, they're playing like the Celtics or Milwaukee where they're just long and they're getting into you. And it's not like we're making mistakes, but we just got to be smarter with passes. Like we're just throwing away the ball. It was a bad pass or he couldn't catch the ball turnover. They run it down Mm -hmm. the other way and get a layup or three. And then you game one, you had the Draymond green ejection on the flagrant two foul. We still pulled out that game without him. Um, game two, you know, basically came down with the wire. Memphis got it. So I, I agree with you in the sense that like nothing's really been determined. I guess I have been more unimpressed with the Warriors execution um, than surprised with the intensity that Memphis has come out with. So I just feel like that this is really the Warriors series to lose. Um, and we'll see what what role Steven Adams plays because you're right that the big X factor has been rebounding and Andrew Wiggins has just been a beast on the boards. But I do think that we'll, it'll be interesting to see how much Adams does play because he definitely changes the dynamic. So, and if you're a Grizzlies fan or uh, our Grizzlies, you know, part of the Grizzlies organization, you're probably thinking the exact same thing we're talking about. Like, man, we could yeah. be up to zero. We feel great about this series against the Warriors. So do they even want to really change anything by injecting Adams um, when you've got Jaron Jackson Jr. and Brandon Clark playing so well, um, you know, in these smaller lineups. So, mm-hmm. yeah. It, well, it, I think because of the rebounding issue and also just to buy more fouls or, you know, at least more time for him to rack the fouls up for Jackson. True. Because that's been his problem. He, you know, he fouled out game one, game game one. Yeah. Game two. Game I think it was game one. Out, yeah. But he fouled out. Uh, towards the end and, and it was a it was a difference maker there because that game that came down to the final possession man it was nice not having him out there right i also felt like it was nice <laughs> this is gonna sound funny maybe but it has been an achilles heel for the warriors being up three with the other team having possession having the final <laughs> possession of the game so i almost was appreciative of clay thompson to miss those free throws so it was only a one point game. So for Memphis, <laughs> they, they're going to take the two for the win. 
And then you end up kind of taking a tough in-between shot that gets blocked. Then you go for the three for the tie and we botch another defensive sequence um, closing out on three-point shooters or fouling um, before, you know, letting it, the ball get to a three-point shooter. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I, that was crazy, man. Him and Steph both missed a ton. Of, but Steph got a lot of free throws in that game. He only got two in the second game. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm still confident. You know, before the series started, I'll have to go look if I took the Warriors in five or six. But, you know, I I assumed that the Warriors going to lose at least one game. Now, losing one game and losing Gary Payton, that might require an adjustment. But... I think the Warriors can do it, and I still have faith in them. I just, I just wish they made me stress drink less. Yeah, I think what it comes down to more now, in my opinion, is they need to be better offensively. I think when you had Gary Payton out there, you could accept like a draw, like we can for, we can miss and force them to miss. And now I think it does put more pressure on the Warriors' offense that we need to continue to score. Um, throughout the game and not go through stretches where we can't convert offensively because we know that we're going to have a really tough time stopping Moran. That being said, um, you know, opportunity for Kaminga or Damian Lee to step into that role and be able to, to step out and hit threes or be able to get to the rim and score and draw fouls and get others in, in foul trouble and potentially bring something else to this team. So um, there is no replacement for Gary Payton II, for sure, without a doubt. Um, but I do think it does kind of continue the chess match and give Steve Kerr different options. Um, and this is a deep team that that still has a very, uh, you know, has the most experienced trio of Steph Clay Draymond as far as finals experience um, around the NBA on one team that, you know, I have faith that these guys are going to be able to put themselves in the right position to continue to be able to win games down the stretch. And you just have to hope that they're able to execute here at chase center. Yeah. And you know, this is where the old core comes in, man. Like Steph and Clay and Dre haven't let us down yet. And you know, Clay Thompson's so mad at himself for those missed free throws, for the turnover. Um, I think, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see Clay come out um, ready to go locked in um, for these home games. Sure, it'd be yeah. nice if we could get like a Steph, Steph and Clay and Poole kind of combined for 70 to 80 points. That would sure, that would sure give us a nice cushion there. Yeah, we got a good pool blow-up game. Now I'm ready for a Stephen Clay blow-up game. It is. I will say it is nice to see that Pool bounced back after he opened the playoffs against Denver just absolutely on a tear. The best offensive player on the Warriors as far as efficiency and scoring. Um, and then he kind of had a, a down game or two and then came out strong again against Memphis. So And even though he's being hunted – defensively still continuing to to play hard to be aggressive um and not and not let that get to him 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know the other the other thing is for for Steph and Clay and Dre for for Steph to be this contained is is fairly unusual. You know, he had a couple of good games against the Nuggets, but he's really struggled against uh, the Grizzlies, man. So I, I, I think that they're going to look at some tape and figure some stuff out. You know, I, for a while I was like kind of into the fact, the counter for people not covered towards Steph and runs like an off ball screen for him, or I guess it's a, I don't know what you call that. A, a handoff screen where he runs up, throws the ball over his shoulder and then screen Steph's guy and Steph runs around, grabs the ball and shoots off that screen. The problem is that that is just super predictable. And, and I think that the Grizzly defenders are a little bit better at navigating around that. So, you know, we don't have the big body like uh, Andrew Bogut out there that's like making significant space for people. So I think that's another factor with, with going small and the, the way the teams are covering our non-shooters. It, it puts a lot of pressure on Steph to make crazy shots. You know, he's, he's not washed just yet, but he, he, he is getting older. So, you know, these cold streaks are, are something that we're going to have to live with. Poole in game one really stepped up and took over the limelight for him. But it, this is still Steph's team, and he needs to turn it around and go crazy and just have one of those crazy Stephen Curry nights. But maybe he's saving that till they need it. I don't know what he's doing. Yeah, we'll see. No Dylan Brooks in game three, serving the one game suspension. Um, you know, Dylan Brooks has been the primary defender on Steph. Maybe that gets him going, kind of unlocks him. And he's then able to, to build off of it from there. I will say one thing that I've noticed from Curry, he's been more accepting of taking like a long two or something like that, which he's been able to convert, I think, to the point of what you're saying, right? He's having trouble getting open looks. So sometimes mm-hmm. they run him off the line. He'll take. You know, he'll take the uh, the 20 footer or the 18 footer jump shot. And, and you know, those are money for him. So take the points where you can get them, um, convert your free throws, which we know Steph Curry can kind of just a weird anomaly in, in his career. But um, I'm not really concerned there. And yeah, I think, you know, Andrew Wiggins has been a really big piece. So I'd like to see him continue mm-hmm. to be aggressive, um, hitting threes, rebounding. I mean, like we said, Morant, Morant is just been atrocious on defense i'm surprised that it doesn't get enough attention um in kind of the uh, public forums of talking about how great he's doing for everything he's doing on offense um he's sure is giving up a lot of points defensively with just kind of careless plays lack of effort yeah it's not even like he just doesn't try he just goes for the easy swipe and gets beat and that's it or just doesn't care to box out like this is just little effort things yeah well you know he's a skinny kid too so he, he's probably not looking to bang with people because he probably still bounces off you know this is some of the same stuff that steph had to figure it out coming in as you know not undersized but definitely not large for a point guard and you know things that the warriors actually ran more pick and rolls than the grizzly did in game two trying to hunt that matchup that they like, you know, probably a lot against Morant. It's a tough, <laughs> it's a tough angle to take to constantly attack him because I, and I think this is something that, that Kerr has sort of wrestled with during his coaching tenure is, and it's a fine line, you know, how, how much do you want to lean on the system quote unquote, 
versus devolving into a, you know, a gimmick offense, but a gimmick offense that makes sense. Like everybody does this where they sort of isolate and attack in isolation or off a pick and roll on the team's weakest defenders, because it's like a football play. You know, if, if they can't stop your run game, you just keep running it. Like you don't do anything else until they stop it. But the Warriors haven't really found something that's unstoppable in this series yet. So I think they're going to keep poking, uh, but they did run a lot of pick and rolls in that last game. Yeah, I, I think, just... I think, um, oh, go finish your point. <laughs> no, I was just rambling. That's fine. Go on. <laughs> I, I agree with you in the sense that, like, you know, Steve Kerr is very far from Don Nelson, right? You find, find a mismatch and you're just going to go to it every time. Why not? Um, so I think over the course of the game, yeah, you want to play, play within the flow of the offense. Um, you know, continue to advocate for Wiggins if Morant's going to be defending him to crash the boards, if Morant's not going to box out. I think that there's a big advantage there, depending on how much Steven Adams plays. And then, you know, maybe you focus more on that down the stretch. If it's another close game and, and it's the fourth quarter where the game really slows down, at that point, I think is where you're really trying to laser in on, okay, how can we get a bucket? But you're right, with like, six minutes left in the first, you're probably not going to say, you're probably not going to bring it up three, four times in a row and say, all right, I so clay on, on Moran. Um, Cause that's just not the warrior style. You know, maybe, maybe if the Grizzlies go on an eight Oh run, you call timeout and you run a play to get a bucket, but you're not, yeah, you're not hunting that um, purposefully that, you know, that consecutively um, that early in the game. Unless, unless you just, yeah. Really and it's down. just not the, you know, it's just not the Kerr offense. They would, you know, they're, they're looking for catch and shoot plays. That's what the Steve Kerr and like dives to the hoop. Right. That's what they want. They're, the the offense is not built for, for a single player stops the ball and then breaks them down with a pick and roll. Right. Um, you know, and, and you could easily argue that one of the problems is that Clay Thompson's shooting rate is still a little bit too high. And, you know, he, he had some huge games to end the regular season, you know, hitting big shots is what he does. Shooters got to shoot and he's working through it. It's, it's hard to argue against that, but at the same time, like, you know, there was two consecutive possessions where he ran down and he took these, like, you know, this like baseline runner, like horizontal side runner um, from, you know, 12 or 15 feet out. It was just like a bad shot. And then comes back down and he does it again. He's, he, he's sort of taking the Warriors offense out of itself as well. So I would hope that with this three-day break, maybe he gets a little perspective, um, you know, or he gets shot hot enough to where it doesn't matter. Like, yeah. you know, if you're hitting them, that's cool, man. Go for it. But it's when he's yeah. not hitting them, all of a sudden it's, you start second guessing everything. Clay on a reload has just been money. Um, this postseason, you know, offensive rebound, you find clay, he's locked in, but I agree when, when it's the ball coming up the floor and he decides to just go one on four and fire away with 20 seconds left on the clock on the shot clock. It's yeah, it's brutal. And then, and then if he misses the, the Grizzlies say, thank you very much and come run it down our throats on a fast break. Um, Yeah. But you know, that's, that's the problem right now is like, you're, he he actually you know he he could stand to play less minutes he played a really heavy minutes load in game two i think i believe uh, he actually led the team in minutes in the first round as well against denver yeah 
So maybe you do get some more Damian Lee, um, uh, maybe some Toscano, maybe some Moody. Um, I'd be surprised. Wiggins has moved. Yeah. But, you know, JTA just had a tough season this year. He got a lot of opportunities um, early in the season, and he was just like wasn't as good as he was in the previous year. You know, his shot wasn't hitting at the same rate, but he was also just making a lot of like bonehead lapses where he got caught out of position or was just a step behind where it seemed previous season, like he was, he was better at predicting where the action was going to be a little more proactive in, in his positioning. We didn't really see that, but I think you're right that he's one of the names that's going to be pulled out of the hat at some point in game three. See if it works. Yep. Um, I feel you, man. Any uh, any closing thoughts here? Man, I just want to win that game three so bad. Uh, <laughs> I really hope that they get it together. And you know, I, I'm still going to be confident if they if they drop another one. But sealing two wins at, at Oracle right now would be, or, or I'm sorry, pardon, pardon at uh, Chase Arena would go a long way towards satisfying a, a team and a, and a fan community that just lost one of their favorite players. These guys are hungry. I have faith. I think they're going to pull through. Hey, listeners, before we sign off, I just want to remind you, there is no such thing as a fantasy offseason, only the pre-draft season. And here at Sports Ethos, the pre-draft season has already begun. Our expert analysis are churning out important lessons learned in draft analysis on incoming rookies so you, yes you the listener, can get a jump on your prep. And we'll have incredible free agency and summer league coverage as well, but only if you're part of our premium membership team. Head to sportsethos.com now and click on the premium tab to grab a fantasy pass today. Seriously. Cook yourself one extra lunch per month because it's only $5.99. See you there. And once again, this has been a We Believe Golden State Warriors basketball podcast, a sports ethos presentation. If you haven't already, please give me a follow out on Twitter at S-D-O-R-L-I-K. Subscribe, rate, and review the show. Let's go Dub Nation. Catch the games three and four at Chase Arena, and we will catch you guys on the next one. Thanks for tuning in.